Hey everybody, Nate Clark here. I'm the pastor of Oasis Church here in Richmond, Virginia. We pray that this podcast is helpful and encouraging to you in your life. Here's today's message. All right, go ahead and open your Bible to Acts chapter number six. Acts chapter number six. We've had about six weeks off, I think, from the book of Acts, so we're ready to jump back in. At least I'm ready. Are you ready to jump back in? Acts chapter number six. Starting in verse number one, here's what God's word says. In those days, the number of disciples were increasing. The Grecian Jews, they're also called the Hellenistic Jews. These are Jewish people with a Greek background, a Greek thumbprint in their culture and in their language. Uh, They complained against the Hebraic Jews because the widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. And so the 12 gathered and the disciples together. They said it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brother, choose seven men from among you who are to be full of the spirit and full of wisdom. And we'll turn the responsibility over to them. And then we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. And so this pleased the whole group and they chose Stephen. He's a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Also, they chose Philip, Procaris, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, who converted from Judaism. Presented these men to the apostles. They prayed for them, laid their hands on them. Verse number seven is where we'll finish today. God's word spread. The disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Today I want to talk around this idea. It's going to be really practical and really spiritual at the same time. I want to try to help you today. I want to talk around navigating potential conflict. Happy New Year. (laughs) Pray this out loud with me. Come on, with all your heart, with all your oomph this morning. Say, Dear God, today, do what no man can do. Open my eyes. Open my heart that I may receive your word believe your word, and obey your word. Amen. 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 You know, there's a phrase, I'm sure everyone here has heard it. It's speaking of a moment in time, and the phrase is this. um, It's the honeymoon phase or a honeymoon season. Heard this before, right? Obviously, it's normally talked about an actual honeymoon time or a honeymoon season when a couple falls in love and they get married, they go on their actual honeymoon and it's just all flowers and roses and all just glitz and glamour and all smiley and fun. And then eventually more of the reality of life hits. And that's when people say the honeymoon phase has ended, right? You guys seen this? The honeymoon phase. The honeymoon phase speaks of the beginning of something where because of its start and maybe because of the emotions or because of the energy out of the gate, it can carry you, but so far, but how many know the honeymoon phase comes to an end? Acts chapter number six is is definitely for sure, and it's even started to before this, to where the beginning phase, the honeymoon phase of the church being birthed has officially like stopped. So the spirit of God was poured out at Pentecost Thousands are saved, signs and wonders and miracles. But in Acts chapter 4, we see like persecution from the outside begins to hit, and now they begin to face challenges. Acts chapter number 6 here, they're not just facing challenges from the outside anymore. 
But Acts chapter six is the very first time we see they begin to face potential conflict on the inside. It's not just the things out there that are coming against what they're doing, but now there's potential for things on the inside to conflict and to hinder what God wants to do. Conflict is way more spiritual than you think it is. I want that to just sink in here for a moment this morning. Conflict is way more spiritual than you think it is. It's not just what's happening on the exterior. It's not just what's happening in the natural. It's what's happening in the supernatural. It's what's happening in the spiritual. Here's the first thing in your notes. Anytime God is moving, the enemy will try to use conflict to hinder that work. Anytime God's moving, the enemy loves to use conflict as a tool in his belt to hinder the work of God. Because here's what the enemy knows. If the enemy can't stop the work, he'd love for you to stop the work. If the enemy can't stop the work, he'd love for me and for us to stop the work ourselves. So the enemy loves to use conflict to create division to stop the kingdom work from happening. So my ability and your ability and our ability, the church's ability to continue to sustain the work of God and to continue to see God move, uh, a big piece of that is the church's ability to deal with conflict. It's not just true corporately in the church, it's true of your life as an individual. How many know your ability to sustain and continue to grow and move forward with a healthy life and relationships, a skill you will have to have will be how do you navigate conflict in a healthy way? How you deal with trouble, how you deal with potential conflict. So the context of this Chapter Acts chapter number six is you've got two different kinds of Jewish people. You've got two different, this is, it's, it's in your notes. You've got the Hellenistic Jews and they are Jews that come from Rome. Their um, culture, their language is Greek. That is their custom, that is their norm. Um, they, they grew up with more of a Greco thumbprint on them from where they came from, but they're still Jews, okay? They've come to know Christ, they believe in the gospel, uh, they're on mission now, they're a part of the early church, so you've got the Hellenistic Jews, and then the second kind of Jews that you have here in the story is the Hebraic Jews, and th these are the Hebrews. They're mostly from Judea, and they're a lot more entrenched in the Jewish law, in the Old Testament, in the ways of the temple, and, and so they, they put a lot more um, devotion, they're a lot more focused on those kinds of things than the ones from Rome because their culture and their upbringing, their background is more Greek. Both Jewish, both believe the gospel, both have faith in Jesus, are both part of the early church, but two different groups of people. Now, here's how they would have seen each other, okay? So the Hebrews, they would have seen the Hellenists as unspiritual and compromisers, because they were way devoted to the law, very sensitive to the things of the temple, so that they would have seen somebody from a Greek background as not as spiritual, as compromised. Why aren't they devoted to the law as we are? So they would have seen them in that light. And in the same way, the Hellenists, they would have looked at the Hebrews and said, y'all are holier than thou traditionalists. 
Kind of like the pinkies up, fancy spiritual people, way more uh, entrenched in the law. They know the law way better. And so they could have seen them as more holier than thou. And they would have looked back at them and saw them as more compromised and not as spiritual. So you can see because of the backgrounds that these two groups of Jewish people came from, the potential for there to be conflict with them. The church is growing at a rapid rate. We see, again, at the day of Pentecost, a few thousand people come to faith. So the church is growing, growing, growing. And as they're growing, they are forced to begin to change. It's very important. As they're growing, they're forced to change. They're not changing the message. They're uncompromising in the message of the gospel. They're uncompromising in Christ and his word. But they are realizing they're having to change how they operate. They're having to change how they minister and facilitate um, the word and the ministry as they're growing, growing, growing. And this is, this is very important because for us, e- e- even as a church, like we're, we're in a great season right now of great life and great health and great growth in our church. And it's just important to know as we grow and as God expands the ministry, things have to change and adjust in order to facilitate that. We don't compromise on the word. We don't compromise on Christ and who he is, but, but there has to be change in how it's facilitated. And so that's what's happening here in the early church. They are, they're outgrowing their ability to keep up with the growth. They're outgrowing their ability to manage everything that's coming at them. And so you have this group of Jews, the Hellenistic Jews, and they've got a lot of women who are widowed who had been receiving food. This is very popular ministry here in Jerusalem because Jews would come to the holy city in the last season of their life if they weren't already there. They would come there to spend the last season of their life and end up dying there. So you've got a lot of elderly Jewish people there in the holy city. Um, Statistically, now it's even true then as well. When the men die earlier, you've got a lot of widows needing care. More than normal, more than usual. So a big part of their ministry was We need to care for them. We need to feed them. We need to make sure they're taken care of and they're looked out for now that their husband has passed. And so this group of Hellenistic Jews has been a part of that. They've been being served. They're part of the community. But as it's growing and as there's more demands and more growth happening in the early church, here's what's happening. They are now falling through the cracks. They're they're being neglected now. Their, their, Their needs are not being met anymore. They're not getting the same care and ministry they had before. And so rightfully so, correctly, they're upset and complaining like, hey, we, like, th- there was a need being met, but as this thing has grown and moved forward, we're now being forgotten. The need is no longer being met. And here is where we have the first potential for internal conflict within the church. Got two different groups of people from two different backgrounds on the same mission together, but there's now a ball being dropped, there's people falling through the cracks, and there's complaining happening, and there's now the first opportunity for conflict on the inside. On the inside. There's a few different things from this text that show us the makings of conflict. They show us the ingredients and the recipe for conflict. And I want to show them here, but I also want uh, to be really practical and helpful for your own life, to be able to see these things and realize how sometimes conflict can play out in our lives. Um, So I've got in your notes recipes for conflict, okay? Recipes for conflict. The first one is this. If there's an unintentional wrong plus an offended spirit, you get conflict, 
if there's an unintentional wrong matched with an offended spirit, conflict will be the result. If you live and operate in the spirit of offense and being offended, here's what I know about your life. You always will be. <laughs> Come on, can I get an amen this morning? If, if you're looking to be offended, you always will be, particularly today. I think this is even, this is amplified today because today there are so many streams of information and thoughts and opinions available to you. So it's not just, you know, like years and years and years ago, it used to be like, I was offended by who? Well, this person in my family that I live with or this person that lives right next to me. But now it's like, I was offended by who? Some random dude on this thing that put out this blog and sent out this video and there's, there's 9,000 things that can come at you to be offended by. And if you're looking to be offended, you'll always have a reason to be. But here's what I know. Not everybody who does wrong meant wrong. We'll say that again. Let this thing again. Not everybody who does wrong meant wrong. And if there is an unintentional wrong matched with the spirit of offense, ready to be offended, ready to assume the worst, those two together, conflict will begin to ensue. It's very, very clear from the text here that the Hebraic Jews did not mean to or intentionally neglect this ministry. We, we, we know that because how they responded. As soon as they responded, they went over the top to meet the need. This was not something they intentionally stiff-armed or put distance. They, they had no intent and no desire to neglect this need, but because of everything that was going on, it fell through the cracks. And so if they would have had an offended spirit, how many know conflict would have ensued? The second atmosphere that creates conflict is this. You have group number one with a right heart, group number two with right facts, and then both groups assume the opposite. Conflict erupts. One group has a right heart, right motives. Another group has the correct facts and right information but both groups are assuming the opposite can create conflict. This is exactly what's happening here. You've got one group with a good heart and good motives. Then you've got the other group with correct information. Like, they, they weren't complaining just to complain. They weren't. They were right. They had been neglected. There, there had been balls dropped. There had been cracks that people had fallen through. There had been things that were missed. Like, they were correct. So there was right motivation and right heart, and there was right information and right facts. So both were right, both were good. But here's the thing. If both were to have assumed the opposite of each other, how many know conflict erupts? Because they were right, man, we've, we've been neglected. We haven't received the ministry. Like, they, they, they intend to do that. Their heart towards us is not good. They could have assumed the opposite. Or they could have been over here with good hearts and assumed that, oh, no, they're not right. They're not. It's like, no, no, no. They, they were both good, and the opposite being assumed can bring about conflict. And it just makes me think, how many conflicts and problems in our lives is this formula where there is right motives and right heart but wrong assumptions? I want to be really practical today. I'm trying to teach you today. To where, to where conflict can come when these different things get pieced together. And if we can see this and know this, we're able to put names to it and call it what it is and bring about some work and some healing and some solutions. See, what I know about the enemy is the enemy loves to bring division to the people of God, to divide them, to split them up, to weaken them, to not unite them and strengthen them. 
The enemy loves to do that. The enemy looks for these scenarios and these formulas where he knows he can get a foothold, where he knows he can, he can plant an offended spirit in to begin to drive the people of God in division amongst each other. And what I love about this example in the scripture is it gives us the formula. We see where potential conflict arises. We see the needs being missed. We see the motives. We see all of it. And we see that they work through it. We see how they solve it. So the solution was brought about by this. Okay, listen, this is, just go with me for a second. This is fresh revelation. I've never heard this before. I th- I'm thinking about writing a book on it. Stay with me. It's gonna, be, it's gonna be something you've never heard before. It's just buckle your seatbelt. The solution was brought about by conversation. <laughs> I wanna say that again. I know nobody else has ever said this. I know this is such a foreign concept. I know this is crazy, but we're all gonna do this together. We're gonna learn fresh revelation. Here's how the solution was brought about when there was the potential for conflict. They got together in person, sat down, and had conversation. They talked it out. You know, I think about the early church. Maybe they're up in heaven right now, peering over you know, the guardrails of heaven right now, just looking at us, and they're just thanking God. They're like, hey, guys, man, aren't you glad we didn't have social media then? Like, golly, that's just killing them down there. They're just eating themselves alive down there with that. It was a lot easier for us. You know, we didn't have all this stuff. Like conversations, face-to-face, real conversations with people. The church came together to conversate, to bring about solutions to their potential problems. So here's what they talked about. They talked about four things. Through their conversation, they identified the problem, the solution, the qualifications, and the selection. All right, I want to hit those again. The problem. They say, hey, what's the problem? Like, what's the target we're shooting at? What's the problem we're trying to solve? How many, like if you're in conflict, then you sit down and talk about it. You're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We're like, we're trying to solve two different problems here. Like we're, we're not even on the same page. So they got together and said, here's the problem we're trying to solve. Here's the target we're aiming at. Here's the goalpost we're trying to kick the ball between. This is the problem. And then they also identified the solution. Here's how we're going to solve that problem. Here's how we're going to make sure we hit the target that we're aiming at. Here's the solution we're going to bring about. Then they talked about the qualifications. They said, here's what's needed in the person that's going to be the solution to this. This is really important and really practical because not everybody is qualified to solve every problem. I want to say that again. Not everybody is qualified to solve every problem. So, So here's the solution. Here's the qualifications needed in order to bring about the solution that we're going for for the problem we're trying to solve. Then number four is the selection. It's just the execution. So we know the problem, we know the solution, we've got the qualifications, now we've got to execute it. Now let's pick the people and get them ready to go. Let's get them into action and bring about the solution. I love um, the quickness of this. I love the honesty and the conversation around this. I, I, I love that they didn't have the Jerusalem Council every quarter for the next nine years in order to bring about a solution to this. They got together, they talked about it, they came together in unity, they executed the solution to the problem to take care of the need that was being missed. And what's amazing is there's blessing and fruit on the other side of this resolved conflict. Look, if you've lived this, you know it. How many know when you resolve conflict in a godly, healthy way, there is good fruit and blessing on the other side of it? 
There's reward on the other side of it. And I realize not every conflict can be solved. I realize it takes, it takes both sides coming to the table to be able to resolve conflict. But as the people of God, as best we can, when we come together and we work to resolve conflict in a godly, honest way, how many know God blesses that and rewards it on the other side of it? And so that's what we see here with the people of God in the early church. They bring about a solution. So here's what their solution is. The apostles are saying like, hey, we're devoted to the word and prayer. And as the ministry has expanded and grown, uh, we're, like we're not able to do all this other ministry. And they say, if we're going to do all this other ministry, we won't be able to be devoted to the word and prayer. So they say, hey, we need to be devoted to the word and prayer. So let's raise up others to do this part of the ministry so we can stay devoted to the word and prayer. So their, their solution is they're going to delegate. Their solution is they're going to grow their team. Their solution is they're going to involve more people in the hands of the ministry. And I've got a few observations from their solution that I want to encourage you with this morning. The first one is this. You cannot and you should not do it all. I just want to set you free today. I want to encourage you a little bit. You can't do it all. You shouldn't do it all. If you try to do it all, you'll find out you can't do it all. But you can do and you should do something. This is really important because when, you know, like I, I always hesitate with points like this because the people that hear points like this, you cannot and should not do it all. The people that get really excited about this are the people that do nothing. It's like the people that love the message about Sabbath, but they don't ever, they don't work the other six. They're like, yeah, rest, rest. They're like, dude, you don't work. So like, you need to work six and then Sabbath, right? So I'm not saying, don't do it all. Don't do anything. I'm saying, no, no, no. You should do something. You should be doing something. But you need to realize you can't do it all. You realize you shouldn't be doing it all. Here's what they realized in verse number two. The 12 gathered the disciples together and they said, it wouldn't be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word in order to wait tables. All right, so they're, 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 they're self-discovering here. Here's what they're saying. They say, we, we can't neglect the word to wait tables. In other words, they're saying, we're not capable of ministering in the word and waiting tables. Because they're saying here, if I waited tables, I would neglect the word. So by default, they're saying, I can't do both. I can't do both well. In other words, there is a humility and a self-awareness in them to know and to realize, not capable of all that. I've got a lid. Nate has a lid. You have a lid. All of us have a lid. We, we, can't, we can't do it all. There's a rule that I've heard in the church world, but I've also discovered it's true in the business world and anywhere. It's called the 80-20 principle, the 80-20 rule. Have you ever heard this? It's that 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. 80% of the load is carried by 20% of the people. 80% of the finances are given by 20% of the people. I've found this true as I've talked to people. 80% uh, of the work on my job site is done by 20% of the people on the job site. 80% of the filings done in my office are done by 20% of the people at the desk filing. It's the 80-20 rule, and, and I get that there's just a reality to some of that, but I love how the early church here is pushing back against that by saying, hey, no, 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 we're, as best we can, we're gonna try to involve people in the work of the ministry. I, I, I realize I can't do it all. I realize I'm not Superman. I realize I'm not capable of carrying the entire load. I've got a lid, I've got a capacity, and that capacity is I can't do it all. I can't do it all. And I love that the body of Christ is described just as that, the body of Christ. It's the different parts of the body coming together to do more together than we can do 
alone. The, the hand, the hand by itself can't do as much as it can connected to the body. The hand can't do it all, but the hand can do something. The, the ear can't do it all, but the ear can do something. The nose can't do it all, but the nose can do something. The, the foot can't do it all, but the foot can do something. It's the body of Christ realizing, I've got my role, I've got my calling, I've got my lane. I will do something, but I can't do it all. I will do something, but I can't do it all. And I love to dream as big as anybody. I love to shoot for the stars. But even some of this talk about like, I'm going to change the world. And I'm like, why don't we start with your home? I want to change the world. Like, what about your church? I want to change the world. What about, like, so, so I've got my lane. I've got this. And as God expands it, I do it. But I realize every single need I'm just not capable of meeting. Every single task I'm not capable of doing. Every single ministry I'm not capable of involving myself in. I, I can't do it all, but I have to do something. I have to do something. There's some of you, you're creative. I thank God for you. That is awesome. Some of you, you're administrative. I really thank God for you. That is awesome. For some of you, you're passionate about reaching the lost. That is awesome. For some of you, you're super passionate about discipling the found. That is awesome. For some of you, you're upfront leaders and gatherers of people, and we thank God for you. For some of you, you're behind-the-scenes faithful servants, and we thank God for you. Some of you, you're passionate about the next generation. We thank God for you. On and on and on. We're, we're, we're different. We have different roles. We have different tasks to do. We can't do it all, but we got to do something. we got to do something. We see that in the early church. The second thing is this. There's no insignificant task in the kingdom of God. The very first time I read this passage, there was two verses that kind of like puzzled me, or I just kind of took a second look at it. The two verses were this. Verse number three says they chose seven men from the group, so, so they're picking the people that are going to distribute food. Okay, so that's, that's what they're doing here. They said, who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. This is interesting. Hey, we need somebody to give out food. Who can we find? Well, you know, if you were to ask that today, you'd be like, well, anyone that can go pick out, you know, anyone that can, is literally capable of giving out food. But their qualifications were a lot higher. They were, hey, we need someone to distribute food who's full of the spirit and who's full of wisdom. Who's spiritually sound and practically sound. <laughs> full of the spirit and full of wisdom. I thought that was kind of overkill. Why do I have to do all that? Aren't they just distributing food? And then in verse 6, they, so they pick them out, and then they present them to the apostles, and then they pray for them and lay hands on them before they go distribute food. Hey, before you go out, come, we're going to anoint you. Come, we're going to bless you. We're going to lay hands on you and pray over your ministry before you go distribute food. It's kind of like, what? It, it seems like a lot for maybe a task that just seems kind of everyday, kind of uh, not as big of a deal. But what the early church is showing us here is no task in the kingdom of God is insignificant. No task is insignificant. Nothing done for the kingdom in Jesus' name is small. <laughs> Nothing done for the kingdom in Jesus' name is insignificant. Now, it might not be seen by man, but it's seen by heaven. It might not be applauded by man, but it's rewarded in heaven. There is no task, nothing done for the kingdom that is small and insignificant. Like you might be thinking about 
something that you're doing, whether it's for the church or for others or for the kingdom, and say, well, I, you know, I'm doing this, but it's not really that big of a deal. It's not that, if you're doing it for the kingdom in Jesus' name, it's a big deal. It's a really big deal. There, there are no small tasks in God's kingdom. There are no insignificant ones. It makes me think of Jesus. He said in Matthew 10 to his disciples, anyone that even gives a cup of water to these who are, in my, who are my disciples, that person will not lose their reward. Like he's, he's, he's given the most basic example of like, hey, you're just giving water to someone. He says, hey, if you're doing that to my people in my name, I see heaven takes notice. You will be rewarded. It's a big deal. There's no task that's insignificant. There's no task that's like, oh, it's just that. No, no, no. It's serving God. It's being faithful to what God has done. If it's for his name, it's a big deal. Just because people don't see it doesn't mean heaven doesn't see it. Just because people don't recognize it doesn't mean heaven doesn't. There's so many of you, there's so many people at this church that serve and do things so faithfully, seemingly so small, but it is so big in the kingdom of God. There's so many things that you're doing even in your lives amongst people who you just see and your lives cross with where you're able to minister and bless and give and serve and encourage and nobody knows about it and there's no headlines on it and there's no social media posts about it and it gets no stage time or no screen time but it's significant and the kingdom of God takes note and heaven rejoices because nothing is insignificant done in Jesus' name. It's just not. So there's some people in my life even, I think about my grandparents on both sides, I got two, I two praying grandmas, two praying grandmas that just cover me in my life and my family and our church in prayer. And I, I, I can't even articulate to you what the impact of that is. I, don't, I won't even know to attorney what the impact of that is, but, but I know you guys don't know their names and you don't know them and they'll never be up here, and, but, but how many know heaven notices and it makes a difference and it's a big deal in the kingdom of God. My grandpa on my mom's side, he's no longer here. He's passed several years ago, but he would, on Sunday mornings, he would get his uh, van and he would drive around to all the older people in their church who couldn't drive anymore. And he built this little step stool so they could step up into his van. And he just had like a taxi ministry. He'd just go pick up all these people on Sundays and just bring them all to church. And again, it was like no accolades, no attention for that, no praise for that, but it's significant in the kingdom of God serving people and building God's church and faithfully loving the people right in front of them. I think about my dad's dad, my grandfather. He's, he's still living. In the last eight or nine years, I, I have taken several hundred trips in ministry, several hundred ministry trips. And so I'm always jetting to and from the airport. In the last nine years, he has picked me up and dropped me off and picked me up from the airport literally hundreds of times. Like I'm talking 3.30 a.m. wake up calls. I'm a first flight out kind of guy. No delays for me, baby. I'm getting out. I'm getting out. So like I'm talking about early, late nights, coming in, coming out, weekends, weekdays. It doesn't matter the day. Faithfully showing up, faithfully driving me there to do ministry. It's one less thing I have to think about. It's just a way to bless me. And how many know no one I go preach to knows his name. No one I'm speaking to at that church knows who he is or what he did. And they will never know, but the kingdom of God takes notice. He heaven rejoices. Heaven rewards. Like, they're, like I'm, trying to, I'm trying to tell you there's nothing you do in Jesus' name that's insignificant. There's nothing you do that doesn't matter. 
Think about Don and this team going over to Africa. Like every little thing you guys do, like it may be recorded or a picture taken of it, may not. And, and we may hear some details, we might not hear others, but heaven takes notice of all of them. Heaven sees every little thing and, and heaven rejoices because there's no insignificant task in the kingdom of God. So don't just pursue big, pursue obedient. Don't just pursue flashy, pursue faithful. Don't pursue the attention and the applause of man. Pursue the attention and the applause of heaven. Number three is this, and I'm going to finish. When the church is unified, its work is multiplied. When the church is unified, its work is multiplied. I love the finishing verse for this section here. It says this, so the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem grew rapidly. They solved the problem. They talked about it. They worked through it. And what happened? The word of God spread. The kingdom advanced. The disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. The conflict was resolved. The ministry continued. The word of God continued to spread. When we work together, when we are unified, when we make sure the enemy doesn't have a foothold, when we talk with each other and work out conflict in a God-honoring, righteous way, there is unity in the body. And this is all over the Gospels. You see even Jesus praying for his disciples that they would be one, that there would be unity. Where there is unity, you can go faster. Where there is unity, you can go farther. Where there is unity, uh, the presence of God is welcome and invited in such a way that it's not when there isn't. So the church is unified and the work is multiplied. And I pray for our church and for every single church that stands on the word of God and preaches the message in the gospel of Jesus Christ that our church and the church would be unified. Come on, everything is so divided. There are there is billions of dollars being spent to divide you. I, this wasn't in my notes, but I'm going to just say it for a second. I mean, there are people get up every day and spend their time and their attention and the God-given talents that God has gracefully deposited into their life with the agenda to divide you, to divide us, to divide our nation, to divide. To divide. There is money being spent and minds being thought about how to divide. And God's church and God's people must be unified. There's a difference between unity and compromising. I'm not saying that God's church compromises on everything to be friendly with everyone and agree. There's a difference in tolerance and unity. Okay, so I'm saying we all come together. What I'm not saying is that we don't stand on anything and we don't hold to the truth. I'm saying around the truth of God's word, around the gospel of Christ, around who he is and what he's called us to do, we must be unified. We must be together. As we come together, this is church history 101. As the church comes together, it's multiplied and God moves and the spirit is poured out and there's increase and there's ground taken and hell is pushed back and the kingdom of heaven comes down. And it's what I want for our church. It's what I want for Central Virginia. It's what I want for our nation, that the church of Jesus would be unified and strengthened and multiplied in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Stand to your feet all over the room with me. I want to pray. I want to pray, and then we're going to respond in worship. We've got communion at the front. If you'd like to reflect and remember the body and blood of Christ this morning, you can come and take communion as we...
worship here in response. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for your word today. Thank you for the example of your early church, Lord, that, Lord, they, they resolved conflict. Lord, they, they turned towards you. They turned towards each other. And, Lord, they were unified and strengthened. And your word went forth. And, Lord, I pray today for our church, for Oasis Church, and pray a great unity in this house in Jesus' name. I pray a strengthening of this house in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray we would come around your word and stand on your word and love each other and serve one another in a selfless, God-honoring way. Lord, I pray for the church at large in our area and region. Lord, every church that stands on your word, Lord, today, we pray that you'd strengthen it. We pray that you would unify us with them, God. We realize we're on the same team. We're, we're all serving the same God. We're all shooting at the same target. Lord, I pray you would strengthen the unity of the churches in our region in our nation. God, may this be a time of strengthening of your church, of your people in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray for those today that have tasks before them that they're doing just in the secret place, Lord, unnoticed by man, unnoticed by others, but Lord, that it's honoring to you and it's building your kingdom in incredible ways. Lord, I pray today that you would encourage that person. You would encourage them to continue to faithfully serve, faithfully obey, faithfully build the kingdom, faithfully, Lord, store up rewards in heaven because of their obedience. Lord, I pray just a spirit of faithfulness and steadfastness to your people today that are serving you. Lord, would you remind them that you see them? Would you remind them that you're with them, that you delight in their obedience, that you delight in their sacrifice? Lord, may this be true of our church corporately and all of us individually in Jesus name. Amen. Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's podcast. Hey, if this content was helpful and encouraging to you, you could help us out by leaving a review or sharing it with the people in your life. I know it would bless them. Thanks again for tuning in and we'll see you next week.